trusting strangers and and letting people into our lives and what we were trying to accomplish. I mean, it's not normal that a an athlete or an artist or um, somebody who's performing at work just invites strangers in and like, come and shadow me or come and, and hang out. So, it, but it was also cool. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. All right, welcome back, folks, and thanks for tuning in this week. Really excited to bring you this conversation with some dear old friends, Scott and Jenny Jurek. Scott is a legend in ultra running and arguably one of the most accomplished runners of all time. He and Jenny have been important friends to me for a very long time. I first met Scott in the midst of his amazing streak of seven Western States 100 championships, and I've seen him experience the highest of highs and lowest of lows along many of life's dimensions. Scott and Jenny's amazing book, North, Finding My Way While Running the Appalachian Trail, is a powerful narrative account of their incredible and record-setting experience along the AT in 2015. The book was recently released in paperback, and it's been a tremendous success for good reason. It was an honor to catch up with these two, and fair warning, this interview gets a bit personal. North documents struggles Jenny and Scott had starting a family, similar obstacles that Scott and Jenny watched me and Maggie endure a few years earlier when we were trying to start a family of our own. Running with Scott was a deeply important part of my life during that challenging time, and rereading North to prepare for this conversation brought back all those memories and then some. The book is about so much more than running. It's about relationships, communication, hope, despair, and a lot of other things, too. We talk all about it, and I'm excited to bring you the conversation right now. All right, so we're here today with Scott Jurek, Jenny Jurek. Scott and Jenny, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Padre. It's great to be here. Padre, now we're we're sort of using the Wayback Machine, which might be a lot of what this conversation is about, because, you know, we go back... uh, Quite a long way. Scott, trying to remember our first run together, I think it might have been on, um, God, what's that mountain between Cougar Mountain and Tiger Mountain? Squawk. No, Gosh, the Seattle contingent is going to kill us for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. But anyway. And it wasn't an SRC run. Okay, I thought maybe we had done something uh, prior to that, like on the roads, but I, I knew it was like one of those, one of those two things, either an SRC run and Maybe it was Squawk. Maybe, something like that. I mean, I was a newbie to Seattle, and you went on one of those Sunday trail runs at Seattle Running Company, and um, I think it was like you and Brandon and Uli Steidel and Scott McCubrey, and this was like my intro to trail running, and then I go and totally geek out. I pick up a, a copy of Trail Runner magazine, and like all of you guys are in the magazine. I'm like, holy smokes, this is this is a kind of a neat sport. You can just go meet these superstars r- r- right on the trail. Um, yeah, and it was probably unique during that time. Like, it's, yeah, there was a group of us, and that's what made those years so great is that you've had these individuals like Uli and, and Brandon, and we all kind of came together and would go on these fun low-key runs and we trained a lot together we all did different things we was training for marathons and brand and i were doing ultras um yeah it was good i mean I think it brought the community together scott i had a great vibe at the store it was kind of the connecting point and people always felt welcome and i think that was something that he really wanted to instill with having the store and that seems to be and jenny you were kind of 
in and out of that crew. I remember at the time yeah. you were maybe working at Montreal in its formative years and uh, getting into running yourself, right? I definitely was. I would go to the store runs and I remember meeting all, all you guys. And I remember Scott working at the counter and I was telling him that I ran my first half marathon. And he was like, so proud of me and so pumped. And every, like, even though he was a superstar, there were all these people in the store that were like big in the ultra running community. I had no idea. You know, they all treated me like I was a rock star too. So it was such a cool vibe that, you know, it was so welcoming and I really missed that. Yeah. I remember, I think Scott, I was sort of, I went down to the Miwok 100K one year where you were sort of using it as one of your key tune-ups for the Western States. And, you know, you, you won the race, but like I, you couldn't even, I wasn't even allowed to ask. Well, it wasn't that I wasn't allowed. Like you didn't even sort of let me get a question in about your experience. You were so interested in asking me about my experience in the race. And I remember sort of, you know, I, I was so destroyed and like, I got to go lay down. And you were at the finish line, just cheering on every single finisher to the end of the day. That was pretty inspiring. Oh, thanks. I mean, that that's kind of how I always felt and saw the ultra running community and having guys like Uli who are super fast on the roads and still want to hang out with us slower ultra runners and myself feeling like, Oh, here's this guy who's been on world mountain running championship teams. And, um, he'd go out and do 20, 30, 40 mile runs. And yeah, there was like kind of an extension of that community throughout the whole ultra scene, but then also in Seattle in the Northwest. So it's kind of like what I've, yeah, I just always felt like that's, that's what I knew as a community way back when I started ultra running back in Northern Minnesota, people were always welcoming people would hang out. And I just felt like, Oh, this is, this is what people do. This is, this is our group. And we're kind of like a, a big family in a way. Right. Right. And, and, you know, you've been sort of a leader in that family for so many years and an insp inspiration to, to many people uh, on a variety of dimensions. We'll get into some of that today, but wanted to really kind of talk about a um, couple of milestones, you know, your book that you wrote together, North Finding My Way While Running the Appalachian Trail came out in hardback last year and, and just uh, was released in paperback last month, I believe. And I think you're going to do a reissue in, in, in hardback as well. So the book must be doing really well. Yeah, we've had um, great success with it. We poured a lot into it and have really tried to, it's interesting, you know, people digest books in all kinds of formats nowadays from electronic to audiobooks, And it's been fun getting to hear from people what they've thought about the book, how it's touched them. And that's that's really neat because when you pour so much into a project like that, it, it's nice to hear that okay, people are reading it. It's inspiring. It's it's getting them to do different things, and that that kind of just spreads out. So I, we love that aspect of it. Um, not the actual writing process. That's another story. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. I got some questions there. Uh, and this is your second book, Scott. First book, Eat and Run, came out what in two thousand twelve? Is that right? Yep. Yes, and that was a much different book. I mean, in in some ways, it, it had an it had a different type of personal intimacy and, and more of your personal story over a number of years, but also kind of had this 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 food component. So it sort of oscillated between personal history and and actionable information about nutrition as well. It's really really exciting read. But this one much, much different. It sort of documents your experience on the Appalachian Trail. 
Let's talk a little bit about that experience. I mean, I go back to, I think the last time we sort of shared some trail together was way back in 2013 at the Leadville 100. You were um, kind of jumping. Oh, yeah, you were there and we wrote about that. (laughs) That's right. You saw it. You saw it. You got to experience it firsthand. Yeah. So let's talk about what what I saw and what you felt. I mean, to me, you know, I had been around you both and around you, Scott, on the race course during some of your absolute highs and some of your lows. And something just didn't feel the same about that experience at Leadville. It just, there was a, there was a, I won't describe it. Let you guys describe what was going on at that moment. Well, I think the biggest thing I was maybe kind of just in this, um, I wouldn't say like a funk, but I was in maybe a spot of my career, like trying to sort out, okay, did I want to still race hard for a few more years, accomplish a few more things on like the hundred mile or racing side of the sport. And I guess mentally I wasn't, it was almost like going back a few years earlier when I went back to Western States in 2009. Right. right. I remember I that as well. Myself that, Oh yeah, I want to go back there and, and see what I can do. But I'd already been there seven times and I'd already done Leadville once before. And I thought, well, it's close, close to home. We're here in Colorado. We are able to train at altitude. Why not do it? And Again, just career-wise, I was right. I was really in the spot of trying to figure out, you know, should I fully retire or can I still kind of dabble and still do well? And was it serving me from a career as well as just personal um, interest? And did it, yeah, did it really pique that interest? And I guess that's where. I, so I was kind of like trying to sort that out. And Leadville was one of those things. Like, okay, I should try this out. I should try going back to Leadville. See what I can do now that we live here. Um, but Jenny noticed other things with that race. Yeah. What, what was your experience, Jen, oh, Jenny? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's probably similar to what you noticed, but to me, it was like, he just couldn't let it go. It was like, he didn't want to do these things anymore. He didn't wake up excited to run and just like go, you know, be on the, in the mountains for eight hours anymore he just like he wanted to do other things he was interested like he wanted to make food he wanted to hang out in the house he wanted to run with me with Walter like just casual and like that's totally fine so I didn't understand why he was trying to like fake it or go through the motions because to me it seemed like he just couldn't let go like this was his identity he's used to winning so maybe just bang out a couple more but you know his heart wasn't into it and as a partner, it's really hard, but it's like a fine line to walk between, you know, because I don't want to sound like I don't support him. I'm not, but I also did, didn't want to just see him kind of putting on this mask, you know, and, and you saw like in the race, it was like, there was like no fight. There was no like, oomph, no heart in it. And, and he always does these things for the love. And I was just like, you don't have to do this, you know, you're kind of putting it on yourself. But I remember seeing you, like you guys came into the May Queen Aid station and he was like sitting down, talking to everybody, like drinking soup. And we just kind of like locked eyes and it was like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess, I guess we're just going to hang out here. But it was disappointing for me and, and also kind of embarrassing a little bit. But, um, and I was suffering. I mean, Padre, you know this. I was, uh, 
I was, you know, I'd thrown up a couple times, yeah. you know, going over uh, Sugarloaf and it was just not, I wasn't, yeah, I was suffering and I, I guess it's easy to go to that spot where I'm like, ah, like, why am I out here doing this to myself? And I'm like everyone else, even though I've done this for so many years, still get those thoughts. And I wasn't able to like compartmentalize that, you know, push that aside. And like Jenny said, have more fight in me and more drive. And, and there wasn't as much. I, I was content with just being like, ah, I'll just finish, you know, top 10, top He's 15, like, you just, know, I'll just cruise it in, you sure. know, why, why Jog suffer more than I need to suffer? Um, not because I wasn't winning. It was just like a fine line. Okay. Whether I finish an hour faster or half hour faster, it just didn't really matter anymore. So you had the hard job of like just dealing with somebody that's not as motivated. Um, and I know you've seen me get through some really tough spots and you've been able to like motivate me. And I think that was probably hard. Um, and I felt bad too, because I drag these people out here and get them all psyched and just kind of being like, ah, like, yeah, just kind of kicking myself a little bit and not feeling great. Well, and, and what you're sort of describing there is a swirl of emotions and that's, you know, you get those emotions, but at the same time, like my impression was, you know, whether it was at Western or at Badwater or at the Spartathlon, there was a laser focus, whether or not you were, those other thoughts were creeping in and you were denying them or, or, or what, but I wonder about it in the context of your overall life. I mean, you and Jenny were married in 2012 and, you know, building a new life together in Boulder, you know, renovating a home, uh, sort of managing a, 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 I shouldn't say, a, a new form of celebrity for you. I mean, life is just more complicated. And so, you know, how did that kind of factor in? I know you went up to Leadville a bunch of times and sort of did monk style training, but probably not the same as it was when you would go down to Western four weeks in advance and just live out of your van. Oh, it definitely is different. I mean, I had a lot different demands, even though I was working in my earlier peak years, say of winning Western States or even the Badwater um, Spartathlon era. So things were a little different. Like my time was demanded of a bit differently and growing up uh, age-wise and having other commitments there there's a difference there for sure so maybe the focus wasn't as laser and um, I think more than anything but I, I don't like to give that as an excuse because I felt like I still could handle all of those things on top of maybe I was trying to take on too much well and I guess but, I, I guess yeah, what I mean yeah. le less less logistical complexity in life and more sure. um, like some ease and success and some happiness and contentment, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's what we write about in North that yeah. life, um, like I had struggled for a lot of years and I was kind of feeling and like really had to grind. And now I wouldn't say life was easier, but like if it was yet, yeah, like, why not enjoy it a little bit more and right. felt like, Oh, I could possibly enjoy it more. And having a partner like Jenny, being support and having fun and just being in a really like good place mentally. Just, yeah, a lot of things were good. So it was like, okay, kind of enjoying that. And not that I didn't like suffering and going out in the mountains. Like I loved going out in the mountains still, but like how, how much do I need to suffer? And yeah. do I need to, yeah. do I need to live, um, 
you know, this uh, more or uh, closer aesthetic like lifestyle, like just training, eating and sleeping, running and, and doing that aspect um, on top of, you know, like working a job, but not being as like light, a lot of life energy was going out for sure. Um, whether it was going to appearances and sure, born to run had an impact, yep. the, the things that I was doing. So yeah, there was maybe some more demands on that life energy. And maybe I wanted to hold on to the life energy that I had and just going to the mountains and doing three, four hour runs was like fun, but did I want to train in the fashion or have that focus of like just winning and knowing that there was a lot of suffering that was going to occur, like a good suffering, like a really soul searching suffering, but did I need to keep doing that? Right. Yeah. It's a tricky spot. Yeah. And so something, you know, we've talked about it, something wasn't quite right about that in the subsequent years, you know, you and Jenny went through such difficulties, such challenges, trying to build a family. And that's a key part of the story of the book and the motivation for, well, I shouldn't say necessarily the motivation, but um, part of the story of how the Appalachian Trail idea came to be. I'd love to talk about that. I mean, you know that me and Maggie had our own struggles with with trying to start Mm -hmm. a family. And a lot of people said at the time, um, the best cure for setbacks, best cure for miscarriages is a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. And I thought a lot, of, a lot of other things could be cures, like beating myself into the ground with running, doing too much work, um, my dissertation, whatever, distractions. But really, the thing that did it was, was having a kid. That's um, you know later part of your story, but take us to the, take us to the moment of genesis for the, uh, for the AT idea and kind of what was swirling then. And it was definitely a motivation. Like Jenny and I were at a spot where you know, career-wise, there was a lot of things culminating. I, I waited to do a long trail, uh, a speed record, multi-day, multi-week kind of format for years. And it just, it always piqued my interest more than anything with the sport of ultra running and, and racing in general. So I knew I wanted to do one. I'd helped people like my buddy Horty and yep. had had been out there before and had read so much about people who had done journey runs, adventure runs, speed records, and, and knew that was something I wanted to do. But it finally, with having the struggles that we had with raising a family, Jenny, you know, practically dying of a ectopic pregnancy. If we hadn't been at home, like there's just some things of like life's short. And so yeah. it, it gave us a little bit more of a nudge of like, let's do this now. And going to the mountains in the woods is a place where we like to process, to heal, to get rejuvenated. And it just felt like good timing. And I let Jenny maybe comment on that. Yeah. Well, Jenny, what were you thinking about this, this idea? You, I mean, you guys live through it too. You know what it's like, just like constant disappointment. Like I'm a really open person. So all my friends knew what I was going through. And then kind of at the same time, all my friends were getting pregnant, which was great. And I was so happy for everybody, but I needed to, I needed to just get away from it all. I need to get away from the hospitals, like the constant like blood tests. And like, I mean, you know, all these tests of like, what's wrong with me? How come it's not working? Like we just needed a reset, really just a mental reset and just kind of an escape. And so when Scott mentioned the Appalachian Trail at first, I was like, not into it. Cause I'm like, eh, I mean, I, I really knew nothing about it. I didn't right. know anything about its draw, about the community, about the like mystique of it all. But, but then I had an, an ectopic and then another 
miscarriage. And I was like, let's go, whatever. Let's pack up the van, close, you know, lock the doors yeah, and let's change get the out scenery. of here. Yeah. Yeah. So- it's like, a, it's not like an escape or something we use. I think it's a really like purposeful retreat, so to speak. And I think those are important. So when, no matter what people are enduring in their life, I think having those mini retreats or extended retreats, like a month and a half on the Appalachian trail, those, those are super powerful. I think in this day and age, it's, it's so easy to be so consumed. And I think that's what the allure was too, because I knew when you're so focused and when you get back to that question of like, I didn't have maybe the focus for Leadville, but when you're on the AT life becomes very distilled or when you're on a long trail or you're out for like a, a week long trip out in the wilderness, you, life becomes very simple and it gets distilled down to the basics, the, the things that really matter. And you get into that survival mode so that everything else can kind of melt away. And I think it's a super powerful thing to do. And we often don't take as much time for those pilgrimages or those retreats. And I feel like that, that that's what it was for Jenny and I versus like, okay, we're just going to run away for a while. It was, um, it was, we knew what we were doing. It was like a purposeful and intentional, um, just retreat from everything. Sure. But within that, you know, you've got this singularity of purpose, right? You know, just put one mm-hmm. foot in front of the other. It's, it's a very elegant kind of um, uh, production. Yet at the same time, it is a big production. I know you guys, it's a big part of the story is you sort of mm-hmm. on-site of the thing, but the logistical challenges of pulling something like this off, I mean, Jenny, you were, your stories about driving the van and, and all of those uh, pieces of putting this thing together, um, that's got to sort of juxtapose interestingly against this simplicity of just one foot in front of the other. Oh, definitely. And that's what I like when Scott's saying, oh, it was this person. It was a purposeful retreat. And I'm like, <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. Like, it was, I think our intentions were good, but then we were a little bit, um, underprepared you know i mean just yeah like we'd never done anything like that before and while scott has he had a you know pretty solid resume and i knew mentally he could do it logistically for me it was a big undertaking i've crewed at races before but i've never crewed for seven weeks straight you know i've never crewed like i've never lived out of my crew vehicle and um and just like it's just really the the gravity of every meeting point of not having any way to communicate with each other it was it was pretty heavy it was it not like life or death but you know it i was his support like his lifeline so it was kind of stressful more stressful than i thought it would be and there's a lot of pieces and i think that's where i mean having a partner having a best friend like Jenny to be able to do something like that. I knew she had the makeup for that and she could pull it off, but it's also a little daunting when you think of all the stress put on a relationship and yeah. partnership and all that. So there, we weren't, I guess we, we thought of it lightly at the time, but yeah, there was a ton that had to happen every day, every hour. I had the easier job of just getting from point A to point B and, following this trail that is pretty well marked and and easy relatively to follow. So my job was easier, but yeah, all the pieces that went along with it. And I think that's what, again, it's a huge 
compliment to Jenny and what she was able to pull off. But I feel like that's, you know, we, you can plan everything to a T and, and think you have it, but you have to have somebody like Jenny who is really good on her feet and she's a good problem solver. And that's what you have to do when you're doing something like the AT. You're constantly solving problems and figuring out how to get through situations that no matter how much preparation you do, it's, it's pretty tough. But I think that's what made it so fun too, is there was this newness, this you unique experience that was happening every hour, each day I'd been on the trail, you know, less than 20 miles, com, you know, continuous. And of the 2,200 miles, I mean, that's a tiny percentage, less than 1%. So it's, um, it's one of those things that we, we liked, liked about it too. It was, it was a true adventure. Sure. And yeah, I'm thinking about that. One of the big, at least to me, the powerful themes of the book and for, for those listeners that, that don't realize, this book is really special in the sense that it's sort of written in narrative form. Um, Scott will lead a chapter, and, and then Jenny will reflect on her thoughts on that similar period of time on the trail. So it's so neat to kind of see both sides of the narrative. And one of the themes that emerges from that structure is how you both had to think a lot about protecting the other person. You know, Jenny, you were caring for Scott immersively for seven weeks, um, personal needs, managing some of the crowd that was starting to get involved. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then Scott, you, you have some concerns for Jenny's safety and well-being, whether it's a strange person at the trail or um, just finding her way on these back roads in the middle of the night. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is Sam Schultz, and you're listening to A New Angle. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was um, a little worrisome, but it we definitely were always looking out for each other, so... Uh, you know, a lot of these things seem like selfish endeavors, but he, it it was a team thing because without me, he wouldn't be able to do it. And without, you know, he was the reason why we were out there. So I don't know. I, I didn't really know that there was going to be all these like external factors on him. And I felt bad stressing him out and I felt bad like complaining. And um, it was definitely just, different like a, a whole different experience for me i mean you've you've crewed him at some of the like key iconic races like badwater spread out like you know how he is he's just like i want this this and that like he's very just like focused and he's got his systems down this we had no systems it was like you're lucky if i have water the next time i see you you know like he definitely had to adjust and adapt and it was great because we were doing it all on the fly like we were making adjustments as we went learning you know learning something new every day and and i do think that's what made it new and fun for him is it wasn't his his regular jam it wasn't like this is what i do I, this is what i know it was like oh okay, well, you know, we're, we're just like constantly making adjustments the whole time. And yeah, some of that we invited or I invited by having a you know GPS tracker. I mean, these things were meant to be, I guess, another way of keeping a, 
a record of things more than anything. Like I knew, yeah, some people were going to try and find me or, or come out. I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't know, like, yes, some people are going to come out because of that. But in general, it was, it was meant. So we had a record of things and it was sure. each, each thing was strategic, but yeah, we didn't think it was going to be as crazy where, you know, there's 20 people, 30 people showing up at trailheads and it, um, it definitely created a different, stress probably more so for Jenny and it did take away life energy but also brought so much to us in ways that we maybe weren't always at the time I guess acknowledging or as appreciative for but it really created a a really fun environment to be around there was an energy happening so there was this an energy exchange and stress exchange back and forth of sure. people you know coming in and wanting um, to be involved and wanting a piece of the action and and it was great because I, I got introduced to some people that are great friends and people that, you know, we just couldn't have done things without close friends like Speedgoat or Hordy, but then complete strangers. And it, it definitely added this dynamic where there was a lot of trust occurring. And I think that's where Jenny and I were tested so much was on that trust and just making sure, okay, she's going to be able to do what she needs to do. I'm going to be able to handle the loads that I'm handling and in between, hopefully everything comes together. Um, but it was a huge um, display of trust at all levels. And then trusting strangers and, and letting people into our lives and what we were trying to accomplish. I mean, it's not normal that a, an athlete or an artist or um, somebody who's performing at work just invites strangers in and like, oh, yeah, come and shadow me or come and, mm-hmm. and hang out. So, it, but it was also cool. It, it was a lot of a lot of fun, and we can joke and say it's a lot of fun. But at the time, it was probably more stress, um, especially on Jenny. Well, I think you both go into that so eloquently in the book. the The range of emotions from, you know, seeing a stranger on the on the trail and, and sort of, you know, uttering a curse, Scott, and then sort of feeling guilty about it down the road, and then at the same time, meeting strangers that have sort of invited themselves into your crew and having them be key parts of helping you get through some of the crux days. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So there was that. And I think that's what I tried to always tell people like, okay, you're going to get a range, like more than welcome to join me. But, um, you know, I would tell people sometimes like, okay, I need a mile by myself or, um, I'm not going to really talk a whole lot right now. I've had a rough you know, day or rough night. And, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was really uh, just never knew what no knew what was going to happen, and that's that's why we were out there. I mean, we were out there to like test that adaptability, um, and maybe more ways than one. And instead of controlling it, we just kind of let <laughs> we just open the the genie out of the bottle and just like let everything kind of just swirl around us. Which um, again, for somebody like Jenny who was managing so many strategic and organizational duties. Um, that's really hard to, to manage. Whereas I could just, I don't know, um, keep people excited and happy to be out on the trail joining me and, and keep that momentum going and hopefully, you know, draw off of some of that as well. But it, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was really cool. We couldn't have like planned it <laughs> different. Like everyone assumes sure. like we orchestrated this, this big event out on the Appalachian trail where it was not meant to be that way. It just kind of yeah, small. big event where it comes down to the last, you know, hours and minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and it's going to, like, yeah, everyone knows the outcome for the most part. Um, some of your listeners might, and if they haven't, um, they'll probably, when they pick up the book, realize that they didn't break the record. But it was, yeah, it was, it was wild how it all unfolded. And there were so many times that 
myself and Jenny were like, this is stupid or oh, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's over. I mean, from the beginning in the first week, um, just so many obstacles were, were placed in the way and trying to get through those. And I think that's where the experience came through. And, and instead of trying to rehearse everything, we relied on that experience and that, that steadfastness and that drive and that just survival, that instinct that we have. Sure. That's interesting talking about like, you know, the, the feelings of I can't do this anymore and all that. That's one of the more, I think, poignant moments in the book where you experience and your writing on this was so compelling. You, you, you experienced some deep disappointment when it occurred to you that you had miscounted the days and that the record was still possible. <laughs> oh, I still have a chance. And that actually sucks. <laughs> exactly. Totally. It's not I over mean, yet. He was like, he was like, we're going to walk it in. I effed up. Like, it's not possible. Let's just back. He was like, we'll get to Katahdin, but let's just backpack, like take 12 days. And me and I was with our friend, Timmy O'Neill at the time. We were like, what the F are you talking about, <laughs> dude? Like, we did not just bust our butts for the last six weeks to see you walk it in. And it was Leadville all over yeah. again for me. I was like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. But this time I was like, not, I was so invested. Everybody was so invested. I was like, nope, we're not, you're not going to just sit around here and walk it in. So, but, but then, you know, I think once he realized that he did the math wrong, I think a little bit of fire came back and just a little bit of like hardening up. And he really, like, then after that, I mean, things were pretty dark then. Yeah. But things got really dark after that. Like, he went to places I'd never thought possible, you know, and I didn't know if he'd come back from mm. those places. Like, it was grim. But I mean, already for the, past, the previous week and a half, I was getting, if I was lucky, like a four-hour night of sleep would be big. Um, maybe there was a five-hour occasion. But for the most part, I was averaging two, three hours of sleep continuous. And it just, uh, yeah, I was brought, you know, to the brink. And then I already had these emotions of like, oh, it's gone. Like I had to come to terms with that. So I had, you know, these miles on the trail before I saw Jenny and we figured out things that, no, we've miscalculated and, you know, it's actually the 47th day that counts. Um, that's still, you know, 46 days and whatever. Like there are just so many things to be, then have to like retool my mental outlook and say like, okay, let's go get it. Um, that wasn't going to happen like immediately. So what Jenny's talking about, like for me, I had to like, oh, I just convinced myself that I spent the past four and a half weeks, almost five weeks of just, not breaking the record. And now you're telling me I have a chance. That's great. But I've convinced myself that, okay, I can still make it to Katahdin and and still be worth it. And just instead of like hang it up. So it was a real like difficult spot. And I think that's a hard spot to be in. Um, and knowing like, okay, I'm going to have to dig even deeper. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was looking back on, it was really amazing, but it was also just so, so difficult. Like I can't even put it in words. I try to do that in North, but it, it's hard to write about stuff where you're like, Oh, how do you, how do you get yourself out the door again when you, you know, just been inflicting so much. And I want to, I don't want to say suffering. I mean, it's just really tough work physically, mentally, 
and then be able to turn around and and do that again and again and again and say, oh, it's actually going to get a lot harder right now, or it's going to be harder um, because now there's like there's only so many hours of each day and so many minutes, and you only have so many minutes and hours for the record. Yeah, it's like that stress was allowed. You were allowed to relieve yourself of the stress mm-hmm. and the weight for a moment, <laughs> for a little bit. It's yeah. like, yeah. God damn it, I got to put this big backpack back on and carry yeah. it up the hill. Let's talk. I mean, speaking of difficulty, you mentioned. Oh, by the way, you're going to do that with strangers. I mean, yeah, to me, totally. Like, my, my my best friends were like leaving, had to leave. They couldn't stay any longer. Um, all of a sudden now it was, you know, some strangers that Jenny found from a local running club, the male, uh, the main monsters, trail, um, trail monsters. And they were like, they were amazing, but like, gosh, like, that, that like really just kind of messed warp. with it. it definitely messed with <laughs> sure. It. Yeah. But so, yeah. so let's talk about the writing of the book. Um, you know, at what point was, was Raven born in the writing process? <laughs> She, I was pregnant when we got a book deal. Okay. And then, yeah, we, we wrote the, well, we wrote the whole proposal while I was pregnant and then she was born. She was born right in the middle of it, basically. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're in the thick of it, like writing the first draft. Um, Perfect timing. Yeah, oh, yeah totally. exactly. So, um, new parents, like first time parents being like, uh, although, yeah. Uh, although to be clear, I feel like based on your struggles, per, you know, any timing was perfect timing to have a child enter your life. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were like, we were welcoming it for sure. Excited. And, but, and so kind of like the last thing we wanted to do was right. Mm-hmm. Like sit in front of a computer, but um, yeah, it was tough because we basically wrote the whole book with a newborn to one, you know, to one and a half year old. Yeah. State. And what was your process like? Did you, I mean, because the book is so, the, the narrative is so detailed, but I can't imagine that either of you had any time or capacity to do any journaling while on the trail. I'm so glad that you can realize that because a lot of people are like, so you guys took notes. Did you do like voice recording instead of that? Like what kind of journaling? But you know, there's zero time. No, it's, yeah, like, it's go or sleep. It's yeah. And especially I'm driving three hours for each 10 miles he's covering. Like there's no time. And I wish that we did. Like, I wish we wrote down a lot of the um, through hikers and people have like great, trail names and th- that's what I regret the most is not getting everybody's trail name down mm. but um we for me I have a good memory and we took a lot of pictures on our phone and then I had a guidebook and the maps and I would circle on the maps and in the guidebooks like this is where I stopped here 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 and then we finished on this day at this time and and um those would kind of jog my memory and sure. I can still like open the guidebook and look at the the spots and I can visualize where it was. Um, so that was like my memory process. But then, you know, Scott, I think everything was just so fresh and real. It's not like writing Eat and Run where he's talking about his youth and childhood. This was still like really like fresh in our minds. Even though it was a couple of years later. And I think 
yeah, I remember David Horton, Horty was like on me, like, oh, when you get home after, you know, you drive back from KT, he's like, you got to start writing down things right now. Like you got to write down stuff. And I was just like, that that was the last thing I wanted to do is like relive. Yeah, totally. The, even though it was so awesome, like it was amazing. Like I'm not saying like, oh, it's pure misery out there. But like the last thing you want to do when you do something like that is like, oh, I want to go right back to those places and write everything. Like we would reminisce about little pieces and like there was always a day or two or multiple times throughout the day where you you like want to like relive stuff and recall things. And and I would just, oh man, remember this and somebody remind us. But when you're actually writing things, um, that's a different story. So that was the last thing. So we didn't take good notes, didn't write things when we got home. And, but I think in the end it helped because if we had this huge amount of information or if we had somebody taking notes while we were out there and like tabulated all this stuff, we would have had to go through all of that. Whereas Jenny and I in writing the book and doing a split voice where there's two voices. I mean, that's the other thing that we complicated things with um, the whole writing process. Cause our editor was like, Oh, I think there's a easier way or better way to do this. And we were pretty dead set on like having our voices intertwined throughout the book. Okay. And that was difficult. So I think what helped is that we didn't have too much information. We didn't have like this huge journal and all this information to edit through. We actually just, could recall like what are the most important things what Mm -hmm. were the things that were so visceral so raw and emotional that again like jenny said we we could put ourselves back there and Mm -hmm. i feel like that's just the way we think um maybe more than other people but for us it wasn't this these numbers we had to memorize because jenny had strategically wrote stuff down on a data book just because she had to know when she had to be at the next pot um, and she wrote down when I got in every night because, oh, well, you got a few hours of sleep here or there. And that so, help was helpful. But the actual emotional stuff, that came back. It, mm-hmm. And it was really cool. It was really cathartic. And I think that was like a lot of fun. That was the fun part of the writing experience. But trying to get the words and the words right and enough and words. And taking care of Raven. Like we didn't have yeah. any child care. We don't have family who lives here. So we would take shifts. Like I would write in the morning because – that was that's kind of like my witching hour and then he's more of a night person so he would I work in the morning come home for lunch then he would go and then when Raven went to sleep we would stay up like all night it was kind of I mean a lot of parallels to the AT of like sleepless nights like teamwork but we would like we would trade writing a book together with being on the AT like in a heartbeat. <laughs> and were you yeah, give me give me the AT or give me three ATs? Like oh, I'd geez. rather do six thousand miles of the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> and were you guys reading each other's work as you went, or keeping it from each other? Like, what or were you chronologically synced up on on what portions of the narrative you were working on? Oh no, we would we would definitely like. I'd come back and I'd be like you know, I'd hand it over and he'd read it. And then mm-hmm. like we were, it was constantly in real time, just like, because, because it was so tricky. I didn't want to write about what he just wrote about verbatim. You know, I had to, I had to read what he was talking about and then that would conjure up all my feelings and my perspective. And then I would fill in my blanks, you know? Yeah. So we, we definitely had to write together and strategically, cause, uh-huh. and that was hard because Jenny would be have these ideas or I'd have these ideas and I would have to really think, okay, how am I going to end? Because my parts were longer um, 
and I had to like make sure I wasn't taking away from what Jenny wanted to say mm -hmm. and when, when, when was it going to come in chronologically best so we didn't like have too much overlap and it, it was really tricky and then yeah. I'd come home you know, after Jenny had like a great writing session, he'd be like, oh, I banged out a chapter. And I was like, what? You banged out a chapter? And then I come home with like two and a half pages. And she's like, what? You were gone for four hours and you got two and a half pages? <laughs> this yeah. is like when you're like crunch mode. Oh, like, yeah. You know, second draft, not just, you know, the first time around when you don't have as like hard deadlines looming over you. This is like second draft, almost third draft stuff where there wasn't any extra time um, to to do a whole lot. So every minute counted, but at the same time, you're trying to do creative work that just takes tons of time. So yeah, it was, it was grueling, but you know, amazing once it's done. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and there. you know, I don't want to necessarily speak for all readers, but I will. And thank you for <laughs> the courage to stand up to your editor and say, this is, you know, how we want to do this because I think the book is 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 better not just because it has both your voices against each other but i think those voices complement each other in real time when you're reading it in a really powerful way so well done well, oh, thank, you. thank you i mean you know writing something personal like we had three drafts and every draft i was just like this is not good enough because it it went from kind of like, you know, when you first write it, it went from more like a blog report, trip report, play by play. And really that's boring. Like we really, I was really just dead set on getting to the heart of everything. Yeah. Like being super honest because I feel like it was such a personal trip for us. I wanted to be honest and I wanted to capture like how we felt in those moments and so now you know I feel bad because I'm like oh did I complain too much did I but that's really how it was in the moment and um and I'm glad that you appreciate it and that you liked both perspectives for sure I want I know I want to be sensitive of your time Jenny I know you gotta go pick up oh, um, uh, evergreen but before you split, I want to just pivot and give you guys a chance to talk about some of the choices you've made with attaching, well, not attaching yourself, with, but but doing things to support various um, causes. Uh, oh. Jenny, you've done a lot of work with this Every Mom Counts group, and I'd like to just uh, hear a little bit about that and, and how you came to that group and what it's about and um, how people can maybe learn more about it. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I work, we work a lot with Every Mother Counts and it's, it came, like I follow Christy Turlington on Instagram and because she's a runner and she's a mom and she's super passionate and I, my friends who are also moms are like, oh, you've got to follow her um, and not really knowing her backstory or why she started this organization. But then, you know, she had her baby and she everything was fine and then she started hemorrhaging and she lost a lot of blood and she was just like whoa here I am you know at the best hospitals and something really bad could have happened to me and that happens around the world to these women who are in clinics like without like power and you know a lot of basically a lot of women who need help when they're pregnant or delivering, they have to walk these distances mm -hmm. like 42 K like just to get basic care. And these are distances that we run for fun for as a hobby, you know? And so she kind of made the parallel. And um, so now they raise money 
um, through these big iconic races like New York and Big Sur. And then they go around the world and they try to help improve maternal health care to all over, just um, and, and also domestically too. But it just really is so personal to me because I had an ectopic pregnancy and I didn't know it. And it, you know, I had a, I was internally yeah. bleeding. And if I had to walk 5k even to get help, something bad could have happened to me. But instead we lived like two miles away from an ER at the time. And so it, it is a very personal um, organization. And I just, I love the work they do. We went to Tanzania with them and we visited a lot of hospitals and we installed like solar care and, it's it's just for me too as a new mom i'm not super motivated to run but having this you know running for them it definitely gets me out the door and gets me excited to do races again so it's a nice motivator for me but also i i really believe and feel passionate about the work they do fantastic and yeah thanks Scott, to jenny on. like i've i've gotten involved i feel like there's done a lot of work with christy and she's been I'm just great to see like somebody who's at her point in her modeling career. And um, there's some parallels there. She's a you know, few years older than me, but mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty neat to see like she's funneled the energy and drive into something she feels strongly about. And somebody who's a relatively new runner in the past five, six years, it, it's been fun to do. And I, getting men involved in a maternal health organization, nonprofit is not the easiest thing to do. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of other nonprofit work, and I'm an equal opportunist when it comes to nonprofit work. I've worked with the Nature Conservancy, uh, the Himalayan Cataract Project, um, a bunch of different organizations that I feel um, various um, visually impaired groups like Team with Vision. And um, there's just, yeah, a lot of stuff I've been doing. So I've like been bouncing around, but Every Mother Counts is so much it's such a, I guess, personal connection for Jenny and I because we've experienced it firsthand and often it is a lot of, you know, women that can relate. And I feel like we need more men who are involved in organizations that improve the quality and and health of lives of women in in a lot of spaces. And this is just one way because yeah, we wouldn't be here without mothers. So it's, uh, it's been really good and trying to get more men involved because yeah, it's uh, one of those things. Again, it's not always the, yeah, the, I don't know, the, the coolest thing from a male standpoint, like, oh, you're involved in maternal health, but it, it's so important that we get more people involved. It's not just a female thing. It's sure. It's and it probably takes all benefit from. Yeah. And it probably takes a level of vulnerability that uh, a lot of guys just aren't, uh, they don't feel like they can open themselves up to that. Um, speaking of, you know, all the different uh, sort of competing demands on, on your time, on both your time, but, but Scott, I'm sure you get asked to attach your name to a bunch of different things at this stage of your career. You, you've built a platform, and now you can um, you know, speak out on a variety of, of issues that you think are important. How do you make choices about where you allocate your time and your effort and your platform? It's a tricky thing because um, for sometimes for me, I, I didn't really – plan to have this platform or this or think that oh is going to do it so sometimes it is a little hard for me to feel like oh i have this responsibility um but because i'm the person that i am like just at a soul level i feel like oh this is my duty this is an opportunity this would be wasted if i didn't do things it's what i've 
always done because I felt like giving up my time and energy to help other people get inspired to that, that all pays off. I feel like we could, if the more, more people we can get out doing positive things, that's going to rub off on other people and the positivity just extends. So it is hard when I pick groups to work with or products to endorse. Um, it's, it's a pretty rigorous process for like Jenny has been helpful too, like getting another set of eyes and having individuals like just really make sure it's the right fit is important. And then when it comes to nonprofit work, it's, it's stuff where I feel like, okay, I can really get behind this. Um, having a mother who had multiple sclerosis, like I'm always like, Oh, should I just be working in that kind of arena with, multiple sclerosis and one disease, but I felt like I've really wanted to like open things up. So a little bit more broader. And I do a lot of work um, for the plant-based community and health and wellness and nutrition, which is something that I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that to me is like one of the things that I've, it's been a part of my brand, but it's, it's also something I feel really strongly with. So I think having the ability to connect it to who I am as an individual and what's personal to me, but also Mm -hmm. what what I've stood for for a number of years, not just, Oh, this sounds like a good idea because this is really important. Like, I I mean, I I was interesting. I was in Bulgaria a a few weeks ago speaking there and presenting my book that was just being, or North was just being published into Bulgarian. And somebody in the audience asked the first question. It was an older gentleman in his like sixties saying like, you know, we have these amazing old growth forests and they're being, you know, cut down in Bulgaria here and it's the last remaining, you know, tree of this species. And, um, you know, what, what can you do to like help this situation? Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I'm sure people are like, okay, this guy went on for minutes, you know, railing, not on me, but just being like, Hey, you should be doing more, um, as somebody who can have an effect. And he was right. Like we could do more. So I'm always like, Oh, I should be doing more with climate change or, or something that's really impending. And, I always feel like I've just got to make sure that they're the things that I've that you love. Yeah, that I love. And I feel like with diet and nutrition, I mean, something that we do every you know, three mm-hmm. times a day, four times a day is putting food in our mouth. And that's one of the biggest impacts we can have personally beyond obviously all the civic duties that we have or, or things that we could be doing at the governmental level for climate change. But it's a huge thing when it comes to something that we have power over what we, what we buy and what we put into um, our bodies from a food standpoint. So yeah, it's, it's finding the things like how can I affect change in certain arenas um, with the right group. And I haven't started a nonprofit. Um, That sounds a little daunting to me. So like I said, I've spread myself over a bunch of different organizations or things that I want to get involved with. And um, when I can tie in running, it's great. Like guiding visually impaired runners has been something my mother um, was gradually losing her sight with MS and there's a somewhat of a personal connection, but it's also one of those things where it's really, I don't know, there's, is there something that I get out of that experience that's unique to me and, and really enriching. So I feel like that's super powerful. So I guess finding the things that yes, you feel strongly about or that you're personally connected to, but you've got to, you've got to enjoy the work too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we also work with this organization back on my feet that it's like getting homeless people, um, you know, getting them into running and getting them like running just gives so much Mm -hmm. like self-confidence, so much like empowerment to people. So we always he Scott's really good at choosing organizations that really build people up. Well, 
I'm glad you both chose to uh, allocate some of your scarce and precious time to uh, talk with me on this podcast. Um, the book North, Finding My Way While Running the Appalachian Trail is fantastic. It's available in paperback, and, and it's going to be another uh, release in hardback as well. Um, so you can get hardback copies. Uh, Jenny, Scott, thanks so much for spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can entice you to come back to Missoula sometime soon. I mean, you packed the Wilma Theater last time you were here. That theater's been renovated, and the town would love to have you back sometime. I'd oh. love to bring the kids there. It'd be so fun to get all of our kids together, too. Yeah, it's a it's a fun place. Yeah, we re- really enjoy it. Uh, every every time we come through Missoula, so we let's definitely make it happen. Let's, let's make, make a happen. let's make a north stop uh, happen. And Jenny and I read the audio book. So for oh, people yeah. who are you know runners or people who are outside doing things, or, if you don't mind our voices, <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> any book, of course. So yeah, you can you can catch it in all formats. But um, yeah, it's it's always fun to be able to share stories and getting out to Montana is something. We we got up to Bozeman last. Um, summer right at the tail end. I know. I didn't even know you were coming. I would have. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. Oh yeah. Well, (laughs) it was great talking to you because you know, you've lived so much of Scott's previous life. Like, you know, you have a different perspective. So it was, it was good to hear your insights too. You've been in the thick of it yeah. and you've seen me at different stages. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's fun to have that in the life. Oh yeah. I forgot, you know, Padre's seen me at so many. So yeah, it, um, I know you were busy with your own stuff, so you can, not everybody could come out. I mean, that's one thing as you get, um, as people get, you know, busier lives or just our lives of different, you know, it's hard to get everyone together. Yeah. Um, so we couldn't get the Padre band back out on the AT, but I was like, wow, like you, you've seen a lot of stuff throughout the years and, and helped me at races and, and been there and, and seen me for, yeah, just different phases. So it's, it's funny. So you had to, you had to read about it, unfortunately, instead of coming out, but it's always fun to catch up. Yeah, Next absolutely. Time. Well, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much for spending time with us and congrats on the book and and all your success. And uh, thank you for doing what you do. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. The book is fantastic. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Okay, coming up next week, we have another old friend, independent filmmaker Eric Becker, the writer and director of the amazing documentary film Return to Mount Kennedy. Check it out next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, part of the Michelle and Lauren Hansen Media Lab at the University of Montana College of Business. Remember that this podcast was supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you'd ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkel, Max Gibson, and Ellie Hanasek. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.